Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. All over the world, organizations, including healthcare entities, commonly tap third-party vendors to handle a lot of their technology and data-centric business functions. While there's nothing wrong with this on the surface, cyber criminals are seeking to obtain sensitive health information with these third-party entities at an alarming rate. Data breaches from healthcare vendors, which are considered business associates under HHS's Office of Civil Rights breach portal, have grown over the past five years, including 116 reported business associate breaches since November 2022, which have affected over 17 million patients. Why are vendors such easy targets? And more importantly, what can be done to tighten the relationship between healthcare and their business associates? Welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a podcast brought to you by Weedy. For nearly 30 years, Weedy has been an instrumental force in igniting public-private partnerships to empower meaningful changes in the American healthcare system. Recognized and trusted as a formal advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Weedy is the leading authority on the use of health IT to efficiently improve health information exchange, enhance care quality, and reduce cost. I'm Michael McNutt, Weedy's Director of Education and Events, sitting in for Matthew Albright. Today, I welcome Fink, Phil Englert, Director of Medical Device Security for the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, most commonly known as Health ISAC or HISAC. Health ISAC is the global nonprofit trusted forum for helping healthcare organizations remain resilient in the face of cyber and physical security threats. Phil leads Health ISAC's medical device security program and works with medical device manufacturers to help improve privacy and security while coordinating with health delivery organizations to ensure implementations are practical and achievable. Phil serves as the organization's subject matter expert and contributor to Health ISAC's Medical Device Security Information Sharing Council, which brings together over 300 people from health delivery organizations, medical device manufacturers, and stakeholders in medical device security to develop solutions, identify best practices, and facilitate the exchange of information to help secure the use of medical devices and related practices. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Michael, so nice to be here, and thank you for inviting me. To Not a problem. My pleasure. Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, before back. we jump into business associates and security concerns, let's get to talk about you a little bit. Um, you've been in healthcare over 30 years. Where did it all begin? What's your origin story, as we like to ask on the podcast? So, so my origin story is not not direct. I uh, my technical training began in the Air Force, um, and uh, I was a radio maintenance guy. Learned electronics uh, and, and traveled the world. Uh, had a wonderful experience. Um, after that, I worked on uh, surveying instruments. So I learned precision mechanics, optical systems, uh, and, and more about electronics. And then I started working. I, I, I joined a, a, an organization called Fisher Scientific and Instrumentation Laboratory. Uh, at the time, they sent me to Pittsburgh for one week, taught me how to fix tissue processors and water baths and incubators and refrigerators, and then handed me a catalog of 1,400 scientific devices that I was now the expert on. <laughs> wow. you know? So customers would call and I would have to look up what the, you know, I'd look it up in the catalog to see what it looked like. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't walk past it the next day in the lab, you know, as I introduced myself and I would ask, I would ask lab technicians. I'm like, when you come in first thing in the morning, what do you do? And they would reach behind and hit the power switch. And I'd be like, okay, now I know how to turn it on. Excellent. You know? <laughs> and so, so 
from that, I began to, you know, I, I learned to fix anything, right? Uh, um, I have fixed every home appliance that I have in my house, uh, as well as many scientific instruments, chemistry analyzers, uh, hematology analyzers, centrifuges, microscopes. Uh, and, and from there, I moved into managing biomed programs in hospitals and eventually landed at the top at the executive level uh, of of a 100 plus hospital system leading what they called their physical asset services group. Uh, and, and that included a lot. Uh, and I was, I was really driving, my purpose was to drive operational efficiency, maintenance operations there, uh, making sure we were driving out cost without compromising quality, making sure that this equipment was available. And probably about 2013, our CISO asked that infamous question, what do we know about medical devices and cybersecurity? Mm -hmm. And the answer was not a damn thing, <laughs> you know? So that began my journey. I partnered with uh, our leader, our IT security lead, as well as our privacy lead and began to build a medical device program for a hundred plus hospital system. Uh, and, and the first thing we had to do was figure out, we knew devices were connected. We didn't really know which ones specifically or how they were hung on the network and what controllability they had. So we, we broke down, you know, NIST 853 uh, into a couple, into about 30 sample questions that gave us an idea of what were the controls that were available on this on these devices on these different technologies and just to give you an idea of how complex that was we were responsible for almost 400,000 medical devices um, there and and uh, we discovered that about a hundred thousand of those were connected you know so it's quite a diverse population of technologies there were almost 500 different manufacturers represented by that 100,000 devices uh, and so it's everything from from tympanic thermometers to you know pet cts uh, and everything in between physiological monitors, chemistry analyzers, uh, centrifuges, all kinds of different technologies that rely on all kinds of different infrastructure inside and have all these different purposes uh, to them. So understanding how they supported healthcare delivery, understanding which devices were the the crown jewels of healthcare delivery, which ones, if missing, for either a routine failure or a cyber failure, would cripple the ability to deliver patient care, you know, because that's the mission of healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. um, understanding the control of the controls that were available, understanding what our organizational discipline was around applying those controls across that equipment population. Also understanding which devices were not not really manageable. They were designed, they were purpose built to provide a clinical function. You know, they were meant to be reliable and accurate. And that kind of uh, is, is a juxtaposed to adaptable. And as the cyber environment change changes and healthcare became a greater target and under attack more, you know, many of these devices didn't have the ability to be updated to adjust to that changing environment. Uh, and that was a struggle to understand what we did. So that's kind of my background, how I fell into this sideways, um, you know, knowing the clinical environments, understanding the clinical technologies and understanding the importance of, of how that supports healthcare delivery. And really, when we think about it, 
you know, in, in a, in a environment, healthcare delivery is really about population health, right? Mm-hmm. The ability for patients to access health when and where needed. No, no, that's fantastic. Uh, no, uh, now you say you walked, you fell in it sideways. I'm assuming since you started in July, it's been pretty topsy turvy, uh, kind of jumping in this. Now you're part <laughs> of Health ISACs. So, so how is how has everything been since you've arrived in terms of this influx of? I'm assuming I'm getting the reports all the time about business associates, about cybersecurity, about ransomware. You know, it must be an ongoing thing for you. You know, how how has everything been at Health ISACs since since you've come on board? So it's been fast and furious. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different members. We serve well over 700 healthcare organizations and thousands of people, and they all have their little niches and and what their particular interests are and what their uh, expertise is, right? Uh, Health medical devices, you know, as I said, it's a very broad and diverse population group, right? And we get a lot of interactions, especially with manufacturers, right? Helping them understand what are the needs of healthcare delivery organizations, helping healthcare delivery organizations understand the limitations that manufacturers have and sometimes delivering to those needs, right? And finding that middle ground where we can make the best of what we have available today, mm-hmm. right? My philosophy has always been 80% of anything is better than 100% of nothing. Mm-hmm. So if I can help folks figure out these are the available controls, let's apply these to the medical devices and move forward. As we talk about healthcare, it's interesting. Um, I, I worked for an organization that was that was in the billions of dollars, hundreds of, of that, and our medical device maintenance program was a couple hundred million dollars. And I always wondered why our executive leadership was so interested in that medical device population until I realized that healthcare was an information business, Mm -hmm. right? We make decisions based on the information that we have and that we gather that. And these medical devices are responsible for creating a lot of this healthcare information. So that's essential to create the information that allows caregivers to make informed, competent decisions, right? Uh, And that's all there. And that leads to that interoperability, right? We generate a lot of information on devices that are specific built, and then we make these systems interoperable, pass this information over to uh, electronic health record systems. We transform that information. We manage it. We analyze it. We send it up to health data exchanges so that at the state level and at the national level, we can monitor population health and look for trends. So there are a lot of different use cases that go into all of this, you know, and it starts at the very basic level of the caregiver and the medical device, you know, and it's a one-on-one transaction and we turn it into a one-to-many transaction very quickly. Yeah. And that's where you find those gaps, you know, from one-to-one, there's not that many gaps from one-to-many things happen. So, so now this is perfect storm, you know, like I'm wondering if we, have we only just begun looking at the cyber issue when you're looking at regulations, allowing patients more access to their information than ever before, 
Good thing, bad thing. That's for another episode. Uh, coupled with emerging technology, innovation, we're talking about machine learning and all sorts of things. A generation. Now we're talking about whatever the youngest generation is. Generation X, Y, Z. I don't. I don't know. Uh, whichever generation's out there that's willing to. They're more than ever willing to share their information and be open with their information. Now you have vendors wanting to get into healthcare arena, chomping at the bit to develop these new apps, new tools in order to entice patients. I mean, this is just a, an uncontrollable, you know, storm of the century type situation. You know, how do you see it? I mean, you have to look at it from a more calm approach. I can be, you know, a crazy, oh my God, the sky's falling, but you have to see this and you still have to come, you know, you still have to be calm and, and address it from a scientific, you know, kind of a builder perspective, like, wait, this is how we're going to attack this. So, so when you see all these things coming through, what is your reaction from a security perspective? So you, you bring up a really good point, right? There are so many different stakeholders that are in this, in this game, right? And we, we look back at, uh, at Target, the Target breach, right? Or the Home Depot breach. And, and I, don't, I don't think there's a person in the United States today that hasn't received a letter that has said one of the organizations that we do business with has been breached and your information may have been exposed. I think that commonality detunes a lot of it. And then we have a generational change where folks have grown up not taking notes on paper as I did in school, right? But, you know, putting notes into their into their phone or into their computers, right? And so they're very comfortable with this and they see this data as, as being very transparent and enabling them to get things, to gain access to things that they want. And, and they look at that security differently. If we go to China, China looks at healthcare data as a national security issue. And as a matter of fact, they don't allow uh, certain amounts of data or certain types of data to be exfiltrated across the borders uh, and outside of China. So if it's produced in China, it stays in China and that's there. We saw this with COVID where there was very limited information about how much of the population was really truly impacted by that. And it creates a trust issue. And that really goes to when we talk about data, can we trust it? Is it authentic, right? Is it reliable? Does it have integrity, right? Um, and then on top of that, we pile HIPAA, right? And we have um, the privacy rights. So this information is generated and we seek to protect it. One of the interesting dichotomies in this space, and you mentioned it, we could have uh, a, a watch that tracks our heart rate and maybe our um, blood pressure and all of these other wearables. If that is my data on my phone, right? Not a HIPAA issue. But if I transfer that information, that same information to my healthcare provider and they have control of that, that isn't HIPAA. It, that is HIPAA information, right? And they have to protect it differently than I might choose to independently. So that dichotomy creates a lot of friction and a lot of angst within the community itself. There's that double standard of, of data there that's, that's difficult to manage um, on that. And that comes to our, our sort of our, our topic here today is business associates, right? 
healthcare utilizes other businesses to help them get the job done. These folks have tools, they have technology, they have knowledge, they have capacity to do things that healthcare may not be able to do for themselves. And not healthcare in general, but certain providers of healthcare, you know, have different needs. They have their own skill sets and their own competencies and their own capacities. Right. So where there are gaps, they seek partners to help them fill those gaps. And they're very reliant on that. So uh, if it's HIPAA information, you know, the the covered entity, which is the healthcare provider, utilizes business associates to do that. And they have business associates agreements that are very specific around making sure that the that the partners understand that they're handling protected information on behalf of the covered entity and must treat it that way, Mm -hmm. right? But these are not healthcare-specific organizations. And up until recently, they really weren't regulated as healthcare organizations and didn't fall under the CMS guidelines. And so they, they had a different peek at that. They had a different view of what that was and what it took to do that. And so... What we've begun to see is a lot of, um, we've begun to see a lot more breaches if we go to the CMS wall of shame, you know, and look at the data over the years, we saw that healthcare, when they collected and, and amalgamized all this data into a large data set, painted a big target on their back and hackers went in and, and took advantage of that and started with the ransomware, right? Healthcare then bolstered up. They, they protected their edge. They put in DLP. They did a lot of the common, commonly expected controls to help protect themselves from that, right? And so the hackers adjusted, right? And said, well, if you're a harder hurdle to get over, let me go over to your business partners and see if they're just as hard, right? And what they found was there's a soft spot there. There's that soft underbelly and they've begun to take advantage of that. And the market is responding to that. We're beginning to you know, have better control, better regulation around our third-party business providers. That said, that's all well and good, but we now have like EMRs are not regulated like medical devices that fall under the FDA purview. So we have a, a commingling of regulated and non-regulated technologies in the same environments, which creates challenges among uh, in and of itself. No, 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 it sounds good. And by the way, we're speaking with Phil Englert, Director of Medical Device Security for the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, better known as Health ISAC. Now, I'm a healthcare organization. I want to reduce potential exposure to cybercrime, um, financial penalties, loss of patient trust, reputational damage, other harmful things, et cetera, et cetera. What are some best practices when I'm needing a vendor, I'm needing a third-party vendor, I'm needing a business associate, what are some per health ISACs best practices on how to approach, address, assess, you know, these companies that are wanting to do business with me? So there's the the first best practice is join health ISAC, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Here is a safe harbor space with which to openly share information with folks that have got it done and have the expertise that you may not have that may have been through those same maturation stages that you're looking to attain, right? And you can lean into these folks. We have an incredible uh, 
number of subcommittees that focus on specific things. I lead the medical device security information sharing group. We also have a third party risk management team that is member driven. And there's usually a, a uh, two different stakeholder parties. So a healthcare delivery organization leader, as well as a another, maybe an indus, uh, payer industry leader may lead this group, a member driven, driven, they do what what members like, they have created artifacts that help people get there. They have two different levels of third-party risk management assessments. You know, they're building things. They've seen a, a tremendous uptick in members. There's 125 companies representing, represented by about 225 members currently, right? They're, as I said, focused on healthcare. They advise each other you know, to enable this capacity on this. Uh, they, they help to safely and securely bring vendors on board and help with the third-party risk management. Health ISAC is also partnered with the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council, which is a public-private group that looks at it at the policy level, right? And the, and the program level, they develop a lot of, here's the best practices that should be done. When we get to Health ISAC, it's here's how do we put those best practices into action and make, really reduce the risk and improve the resilience of the group uh, on that. So a couple of other things they're looking at our, our third-party risk management. You know, four or five years ago, you know, it was maybe uh, a sixth of the firms that we have in our organization are attending. We've seen a shift to seeing more senior staff. So the folks, it's gaining interest in our stakeholders, right? They create and support best practices, right? They will sit down and do one-on-one -on -one advisory groups, uh, you know, to help smaller, medium, and, and smaller organizations get there, right? And they do an, an in, in industry exchange uh, on elements like that. So, you know, one of the goals that they're working on this year is to build a welcome kit, right? How to build a program from scratch. So it's, it's program to practice kind of artifacts that can help bootstrap organizations that are just getting into this, right? And as we work with, you know, uh, uh, business associates, we can share that information with them, uh, bring them into the fold and help them get there faster to build resilience along the, uh, amongst the sector. That's incredible. That, that's really amazing. Now, let's talk about the sharing council that you're in charge of for a second. You know, what are some of the big ticket items that the folks in the sharing council are talking about that are that's really keeping them up at night? So one of the challenges with medical devices is it takes a lot of different specialties, right, to support them. There's the biomed groups that actually are responsible for maintenance operations. There's the clinicians that use these devices. There's the uh, clinical operations that, that figure out, you know, how do we provide the services that these devices enable? And there's the manufacturers that, that make and support these devices as well as third parties, right? So one of the things we're looking at is that shared risk, you know, the risk of these devices, the maintenance pieces has to be done by multiple stakeholders. And so we're having dialogues on how to define that, go from a shared risk to what I call a declared risk, who's responsible for what tasks and having that defined. Another thing that we're really interested in is the SBOM, right? Knowing what devices are 
in our equipment populations, what components make up those devices so that as risks or new vulnerabilities are identified, we know which devices are at risk, which technologies, and at, really at the root of it, which service lines, right? Which care delivery mechanisms may be impacted uh, this way. So those are the those are the two things that are that are uh, top of mind right now. Um, we always are talking about um, vulnerability communications. How do medical device manufacturers share vulnerabilities with health delivery organizations in a meaningful and actionable way? It's one thing to say, "Here's a risk," right? Um, we don't have a fix yet, right? And and so if you can't tolerate the risk you know, unplug that device from the network, which seems, you know, air gap is a, it seems like a, a viable solution, right? But from a healthcare delivery that cripples or breaks the efficiency that that connectivity provides. So it's not really a, a sustainable solution for that, right? So we have to figure out how to make that happen, how to think about patch management and vulnerability management on devices. We have a lot of conversations around that. Um, understanding again, um, what are the critical, the crown jewels of your healthcare delivery devices, of your medical device population, right? If you have an infusion pump that fails, right? If it's a mechanical failure or just a normal, the thing breaks, right? Nurses will disconnect it. They'll go down the hall. They'll grab one out of the clean uh, equipment closet and and bring it back and put it back into service, right? So if I get people to think that cyber is another failure mode, then they can think about how will these devices fail, right? Then what do we do about that? How do we respond to that? Can we anticipate it? So if a CT gets ransomed, for instance, I lose the ability to do diagnostic imaging, right? If that CT is in my uh, diagnostic imaging center, right, out on the outskirts of town serving my suburban community, right, that may inconvenience my patients. If that very type of equipment, that CT is uh, supporting my trauma center, then while that CT is down, I'm no longer able to do trauma patients, mm -hmm. right? And so my emergency department is now on divert and I'm losing 16 to 18% of my admits that come through the emergency room for that. So yep. there's not just an inconvenience to patients, there's a disablement of care delivery, mm -hmm. right? As well as the corresponding revenue stream impact on the organizations, right? On the hospitals. So, so the same device, different environment, clinical environment has a different impact on the organization. And being able to think about that and then understand, you know, I have a better, a more robust response plan for my trauma CT than I might have for, you know, or a different response for my, my diagnostic imaging center CT. Yep. Yep. And, and you kind of briefly mentioned it and I'd like to go into it because I read something late Q4 2022 regarding devices running legacy operating systems and outdated code versions, you know, like what's the latest that folks need to do? Because you mentioned like some of these machines, some of these devices are outdated. Some of them are not being patched. Right. What can be done 
to kind of rectify that situation or what guidance is Health ISAC offering to those organizations and those vendors who are not sending the patches, not updating their devices, et cetera? Right. So there's two things and there's a there's a multitude of reasons why these devices are no longer supported or not supported, right? They're they were manufactured 20 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And and they're still providing the clinical functionality. Remember, I said they're built for reliability and and accuracy, yep. right? And they're still doing the job they were bought for, you know, a number of years ago. So from a from an operations perspective it's difficult to justify replacing those devices, right? So what's necessary is understanding where they fall down from a security. What are the risks that those that operating those devices create in your environment? And then doing horizon scanning, looking for the new technologies that will eliminate that risk because then that risk may become untenable. The other thing is, is we all know and we hear about healthcare runs on very razor thin margins, right? There's not a lot of capital for strategic replacement. There's a lot of new technology that needs to be invested in, right? So sometimes replacing stuff that works doesn't make sense, right? We all have that 12 year old car that Mm -hmm. still works just fine, right? It gets us from point A to point B and we have to do it. So so there's a couple things healthcare can do, right? One is, is really, um, a, understand what's going to hurt you the most, right? And then develop response plans for that. Think about how they can fail and what are you going to do when they fail? Because the time to figure out where the bucket of water is, is not after the fires start, right? You've got to have that already planned out. So do the planning ahead of time. Monitor those that cannot be updated, right? Monitor the heck out of them so you can recognize uh, evidence of misbehavior. You know, very early on in the stream, we can no longer wait, you know, four to six months to recognize that we've been exploited. We have to be able to detect that much earlier. The technologies that enable us to do that, to passively monitor these tools and alert on deviations in communications uh, uh, paths are very, very, are, are maturing very quickly and helping organizations really get there. Because of the diverse population of equipment, it may take more than one tool to actually do this comprehensively across your network uh, for that. All right. The other thing is, is identify, you know, have a strategic replacement plan that looks at and considers the cyber risks created by devices, right? And make that one of the decision points. There's multiple decision points, the economies, staff efficiencies, you know, the services that are able to be provided, right? Those are all business decisions that have to be in there. Cyber needs to become another pillar of those business decisions as organizations look at, you know, strategic replacement of what of those technologies. No, that's fantastic. Now, uh, we'll end with, uh, besides joining Health ISAC, which, by the way, is h-isac.org, and I'll have it in the uh, show description. Besides joining Health ISAC, are there any other resources that you can think of that would help the healthcare community that's listening today? So so there's a lot. You know, the, the FDA has put out a lot of guidance, pre- and post-market guidance. And even if you're a healthcare provider, understanding how the FDA is managing and providing guidance to manufacturers will help you understand what's expected of manufacturers from a regulatory perspective and can help you understand how you can ask better questions and understand what the manufacturers can offer you as a consumer of those devices, right? So that's that's one thing. Uh, the HSCC, I mentioned that earlier, the Healthcare mm-hmm. Sector Coordinating Council, 
uh, is another great place to go. The third one I do is, is CISA. It's a division of the Home Department of Homeland Security, uh, and they have adopted uh, the IoT and the medical device, the OT and, and that, and so they put out a lot of good information. They have a lot of free tools to help organizations understand where their weaknesses are from a programmatic and technology perspective and can help organizations identify and then bolster and fix you know, those gaps there. So those are three, three elements, three places I would look uh, because they're a healthcare specific uh, and industry specific and cyber specific on that. Fantastic. All right, folks, you heard it. Okay, no more excuses. Get ahead of all this stuff. All right. Uh, Phil, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Phil Engler, Director of Medical Device Security uh, for the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, HealthISAC, H-ISAC.org. Phil, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Michael, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Great. This has been an episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us today and be safe. <laughs>